You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Six-game losing streak. They battled back from 1-0 and 2-1 down, and they score a season-high six. They defeat the Kraken by a final score of 6-3. As you heard from Derek Wills Saturday night, the Calgary Flames losing streak is done. It ends at six games as the Flames get... A much-needed win against the Seattle Kraken. 6-3, your final score. And another youngster inserted in the lineup makes an immediate impact. We'll talk all things Flames coming up in just moments. But welcome in to the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. For our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation walls. They have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Another edition of Sportsnet Today coming to you live from Calgary, Alberta. Logan Gordon along with you. Now it's Danny Producers Cam and Taylor on this Monday. Lots of flame stock coming your way. We'll hear from head coach Ryan Huska on a practice day as the Flames will look to start a winning streak on Tuesday when they welcome in the Nashville Predators for a quick one-game homestand. Also on the program today, we'll check in with Emily Sadler. Another week of NFL football will come to a close tonight with Monday Night Football. It's the Chargers and the Jets. Josh Clipperton's going to join us from the Canadian Press. Take a look around the NHL. And Matt Rose will join us in hour two as well. Put a bow on a disappointing end to the season for the Calgary Stampeders. They fell Saturday afternoon to the BC Lions and now have some major decisions in what's going to be a long off season in Calgary. Quick reminder, the fan feedback line always open to you here on the program. Shoot us a text at 960-960. If you're listening live, you want to be a part of the conversation, we'll get to your text throughout the afternoon. But yes, we start with the Calgary Flames. 6-3 victors on Saturday. Their first opportunity to go up against the Seattle Kraken. And they come out on top. And we mentioned once again, a first game debut in the NHL for another Flames prospect and almost immediately pays dividends for the Calgary Flames. Kraken do score one. As... Bjorkstrand has given them one, a one to nothing lead. Here's Pospisil. The Flames back to full strength. Moves it up the right wing side to Dubé. Who shoots. He stopped. Rebound. Pospisil scores! In his first National Hockey League game, Martin Pospisil deposits his first NHL goal, and he ties the game at one. I'm not going to say that it's all... Good news for the Calgary Flames right now. They obviously just ended a lengthy losing streak. There's still a lot of work to do if this team wants to get back into playoff contention. 
But if anything, the shining light the last couple of games for the Calgary Flames has to be the youngsters. And I thought it was another solid night from Connor Zary, who impressed in his NHL debut. Martin Possible, so as you just heard there, another, you know, first game in the NHL, first goal, immediate results. And I'm not expecting him or Connor Zary or any of the other Flames prospects to score every single night, but I have to admit. It's been one of the few silver linings to grasp onto. And I got to imagine if you're a Flames fan and you're one of those people that's yearning for a rebuild or a retool or just another set direction for this team, this has to be wildly encouraging that they've got prospects that so far, and again, it's early, but we're only going off of the sample size that we have. They've made a positive impression. And maybe that impression goes to the point where Craig Conroy and Flames management and ownership look at it and say, look, we do have enough young pieces here that that's the direction we can go, that these young players are going to not be overwhelmed by the situation if we do move on from from key veterans, whether it's on offense or defense. And we've talked endlessly about those UFAs and what the future looks like. But you just never know until guys like Zeri find their way in the lineup. Pospisil. Of course, we'll wait for Jacob Pelche. We got a taste of Matt Coronado. There's good talent in the Flames system. And I think right now, in a season that's only seen us talk about a Flames win three times out of 11 matchups, that has to be the biggest bright spot is that so far the youth movement looks real in Calgary and hopefully it can continue. Obviously it'll change when, when bodies get healthy, there will be guys that don't spend the entire season up with this group, but man, it's been really nice the last two days to or last two games. I should say to look at the score sheet and look at the roster and see, yeah, some of those young guys have really gotten it done. They've been explosive. Connor Zary picked up a second point. He played 14-32 in Seattle after a great NHL debut. You heard Pospisil just over 10 minutes, 13 seconds, but that's all you need for an NHL debut. He scored the goal, got the Flames tied in the first period. A good move to get towards the front of the net, put it home. That's nothing but good news as far as I'm concerned. For the Calgary Flames. Other good news, Dan Vladar looked a lot more like the Dan Vladar Calgary Flames fans have seen in their time. Uh, the last three seasons with Dan Vladar as the starting goaltender. I thought, interesting spot to give him the, the, the start on Saturday. Six-game losing streak. Saturday night against a key divisional opponent. And I thought Dan Vladar was rock solid for the Calgary Flames. The save percentage doesn't look great because he didn't face a ton of shots, but I still thought he was there for those big moments when the team needed him. I thought he looked calm and cool and collected, and uh, I think they desperately needed that because it gives Jacob Markstrom now uh, a good amount of time off in between games here. Obviously, lost against Dallas, but now won't play until Tuesday, I'm assuming, uh, against the Nashville Predators, and then another two days off before the Flames head to an Eastern road trip. So, it's just the start. 
They need to continue a lot of the good things they did Saturday when they head into uh, a home game on Tuesday night against Nashville, but the streak is over, and we can hopefully start to talk about the Flames building some momentum in a positive way. Flames were back at practice on Monday. Good news on the injury front. Adam Ruzicka back practicing with the main group. He hasn't played since injuring his shoulder versus New York on October 24th. So that created a bit of a a change in the lines for Monday per our pal Pat Steinberg, of course, host of Flames Hockey here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Uh, here's what your lines looked like at practice on Monday. Huberto with Lindholm and Dubé on the right side. Zary stays on that spot with Kadri and Sharon Govich. Pospisil with Backlund and Coleman. Greer and Dewar on the wings with Ruzichka at the 4C spot. Dryden Hunt and Andrew Mangiapani operating as your extra forwards. That won't surprise anybody. Andrew, of course, will miss Tuesday's game against the National Predators as he serves that one-game suspension for cross-checking Jared McCann. We'll get to that in a couple of moments here. D-pairings, Uyghur Anderson, Hannafin Tanev, Zadorov with DeSimone, Dennis Gilbert operating as your seventh defenseman. Of course, your two goalies, Jacob Markstrom and Dan Vladar. So Rosicka back with the group, operating on the fourth line with Greer and Dewar. And with the opportunity for someone to step up into a first-line role, because there will be no Andrew Mangiapane on Tuesday. Uh, it appears Dylan Dubé, at least for now, we'll see what morning skate brings us uh, potentially on Tuesday. But at least for now, it looks like Dylan Dubé will get that shot with Lindholm and Huberto. And I don't know. Maybe the text line will be um, clearer for me. I thought the Flames were pretty lucky to uh, only wind up missing one game for Andrew Mangiapane. That's what the... Department of Player Safety came down with over the weekend. It was a one-game suspension for Mange uh, after he was given a, a match penalty and a game misconduct uh, for cross-checking Jared McCann. Just an unnecessary play. Um, McCann came back. I'm sure that factored into the process. It was early on in the first period, so you can argue that Mange missed most of a game already with a suspension, but... Um, yeah, he gets an extra game for it. I, I think he's lucky that it was only one game. I wouldn't have been surprised had it been at the two or three mark. And the only reason I say that is because it was just, it's not a hockey play. It's just an unnecessary, dangerous play. And I don't care that his, if you want to say contact was first on the shoulder and then it rode up into his neck, I don't care. You don't need to be doing that at all. And the way that the NHL and the way that professional sports, and I, almost, I shouldn't say professional sports, every level of sport is going, where we're talking about head contact and head safety and all that sort of stuff, it's just unnecessary. It's plain unnecessary, and you can't, you can't do that. I mean, you're in the middle of a six-game losing streak. The Flames responded incredibly well, despite losing one of their best players on Saturday for 50 minutes of the game. You have to react better than that if you're Andrew Mangiapane. And again, the Flames will, will have to operate without him on Tuesday. And that's more than fair by, by my estimation. But if you're a Flames fan watching that on Saturday night and you were frustrated by it, I do not blame you. 
that is a play that hurts your team. And it is just, you just again, the word I'm going to use is unnecessary, but you want to put any other word dangerous, um, you know, uh, intent to injure. I don't know that I would go that far, but man, was it just one of those plays that left you scratching your head, wondering what was going through 88's mind on that one. Again, he'll miss Tuesday's game coming up uh, with the Nashville Predators. Dylan Dubé looks to take his spot on the top line with Elias Lindholm and Andrew, uh, and excuse me, Elias Lindholm and uh, Jonathan Huberto. Uh, practice day Monday for the Calgary Flames. We'll get to your text in just a moment at 960-960. But first, let's hear from the head coach, Ryan Huska. His thoughts following practice on Monday, how his team's feeling after a big win on Saturday. Uh, his thoughts on some of the call-ups and more as the Flames get set to take on the Nashville Predators Tuesday. Here's head coach Ryan Huska. So Ryan, just from Saturday and what you saw that you really want your team to implement now heading forward from that victory? I, I think there was better connection with our group. That's the one thing. And I, I really like the way our forwards worked and skated. Um, Seattle's a fast team and I, I thought we made it difficult on them, and that means that we were skating and, and we were in the right spots on the ice. So there's a lot of good things that we can take from that game. There's been so much focus on Kadri's productivity in the early going this yeah. season, and his lack of points, and now he's got four in three games. So does it feel like he's turned him into a corner? Um, I, his play hasn't changed from really day one. Like His work ethic has been there, and sometimes he's been a guy that's gone up and down in regards to points when he puts them on the board. But... Um, you would be concerned if you saw the work ethic dip um, and he's not putting the points up because that's a different situation. But I, I felt like his work has been as consistent, if not more consistent, than any of our forwards in regards to how he's skating and competing. Um, so you did feel it was a matter of time before things would start to go for him. Do you like how sorry I've liked the line. Yeah, they've had some time in the offensive zone and they've made some plays. Do you like about his influence maybe on guys on the bench, whether talking or, or having a kid like Zary next to him? How do you find Nazim has had an influence on those? I think, you know, that's that's a good question. But I think the one thing that I've noticed with him, he's almost taking um, Zars under his wing a little bit where um, maybe um, Connor makes the wrong play or a play that you could do something differently. And you always see cats like float by him and, it's not, hey, you got to do this. It's like, hey, no problem. Next time we got it. So I've seen a lot of growth in him in that regard. And I think he's, I think he's almost realizing that, hey, I'm up there in age now and I am a leader here and I have to help bring some of these younger guys along. And I think he's done a good job with that. Have the, the young players, you know, you talked about how they can always add excitement and kind of an infusion. Do you feel like Martin and, and Connor have brought that to the locker room? I do. I mean, that's one thing the young guys they're excited to play their first games of course but it's also I don't want to call it a shot across the bow at all but when you see some new guys come into the room it's like huh, they will bring some guys up at times so I think it, it kind of goes both ways but you feed off the excitement of a younger player there's no doubt about it now they're going to make some mistakes along the way and the hope is it doesn't cost us some games when we when we use them in those situations but I, I think both those guys in particular you can throw Nick in there too he did a good job for us does, Ryan, does their debuts and less about the goals, I mean, obviously that's a nice perk, but the fact that they've come in and, and contributed in a way that's been you know, effective for the group, I mean, does that speak to the way that these guys, some of these kids have prepared, not only maybe over the offseason, but 
you know, in their time in the AHL. Too. Absolutely. And you, you know, it's hard. And we talked about Matty Coronado before he went down. Like, um, these guys have played pro for a number of years. And the American League isn't the NHL. I mean, it's not. But you're also playing against guys like uh, Brett Sutter, who's been a pro for a long time, and he understands how to do it, and he's harder to play against. So you learn how to play a different style of game. Um, and I think because of that, these guys are ready when their chance comes. They've done a good job. The, the Wranglers coaching staff has done a really good job of making sure that they're playing the way we asked them to play. And, and they've allowed them to play with confidence. And you've seen that when they've come up here. So it's, a, it's something that's important that we continue to get that from the Wranglers and their staff. They've done a great job with those guys. The guys you've called up created some internal competition, and how important is it to have that internal competition? Uh, it's it's important. It's you, you can talk about that with your goaltenders. You want them to be um, good buddies, but you also want them to push themselves. Um, if it's the same all the time, eventually complacency can set in at times. And if sometimes there's some fresh blood around, um, it forces you, hey, i got to find another level right now too. So the competition is good, Willsey, for sure. I know that you and the coaches have worked really hard to keep spirits up through a tough stretch to start the season. So how encouraging was it when your team fell behind a couple of times on Saturday that they stuck with their game and, and found a way to win? Yeah, scoring goals early after. Or like They got up on us, and then we found a way to get one back. They got up, or they got another one, found a way to get one back. And then it was nice to see the response in the third period. That's what I think I was most pleased with, is we came out the right way. We started, we found a way to get one early, and we didn't really let our foot off the gas, which is which is a good, good sign for our team. Is that your most complete game of the season so far? Uh, yes, I would say so. What, what can it mean for a, a group? You know, it, it had probably been feeling like just nothing was kind of going their way. Mm -hmm. So what can it mean for your group to just finally get the result and, and try to now build in the right direction? Well, it allows them to breathe a little bit. You know, it's heavy, and there's no hiding it. It's, it's When you're not getting the results, um, the players feel it, the staff feels it, it's heavy. Um, the challenge now is you take the kind of newfound energy and you don't think it's going to come easy the next game. I mean, we have to be harder and we have to be smarter than we were in Seattle. And that's the way the game is going to be from now on for us. Is it encouraging to see more participation in practice today at a uh, absolutely. Like we've talked, I know it's, you guys probably say day to day forever and you're laughing at me, but he's been close. It's just some minor little things. So we're hopeful that he, he responds well after today and we have him available for tomorrow. Speaking of practice, has there been a bit more pace at practice over the last week or so? Um, trying to. I, I think at times, yeah, we've changed some drills up a little bit to try to um, become a little bit more predictable. Yeah. I know you've been asked about the sort of youth in general. What was your assessment of what Martin brought in his you know, I, I thought he did a really good job of just playing a simple um, big winger game, if you want to call it that. Like He was hard on the forward check. Um, he's a big man that skates well, and one of the things that you don't do notice is he's very strong on his stick and on his feet. So um, when he gets in against bigger defensemen, it's not that he gets knocked around or pushed around. But what I really liked about him is he didn't overcomplicate anything. He made sure pucks went to where they should be. Um, he fit in well with Michael and Blake, and um, you know, hopefully they can continue to provide us with good minutes. There you go. Flames head coach Ryan Huska following practice on Monday. Lots there on the young guys, a bit on Nazem Kadri as well, and some of the influence that he's had on a guy like Connor Zeri. Uh, wanted to play this clip as well from 32 Thoughts, uh, the podcast with Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick. Uh, you hear, of course, Jeff and Elliot on uh, the Jeff Merrick show Monday to Friday here on Sportsnet 960, but uh, a Sunday podcast dropped with uh, Jeff and Elliot going around 
Some of the Canadian teams that have been off this, you know, troubling starts, Toronto, Edmonton, Ottawa, and of course, here in Calgary, despite coming off of a win on Saturday, the big picture is still not great for the Calgary Flames. And Jeff and Elliot sort of wondering out loud, more Friedman uh, here about potentially some of those Canadian teams looking at Calgary for some defensive help and how active the Flames have been looking to move some of their uh, pending UFA defensemen. Here's uh, from 32 Thoughts, the podcast, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick from Sunday on uh, the Flames and some Canadian teams perhaps looking to Calgary for help on the defensive side of things. I know we're going to talk about Toronto. I'm looking at Calgary right now. Okay. Calgary could have three defensemen on the market. Three good defensemen on the market. Noah Hannafin, Chris Tanev, and Nikita Zadorov. It would be hilarious to see Calgary bailing out Toronto and Edmonton on one I level. I can't see it. But I, 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 I honestly, Fridge, I can't see it. Okay. Like, honestly, can you, can you see it? Hey, Calgary throwing lifelines. I'm, I'm just saying this. I think they've begun to make their phone calls just to see what the market is. I don't necessarily think anything's happening soon, but I think they're making their calls. If I'm Edmonton, I'm looking to make a deal that addresses my two problems. We're not getting enough saves, and everybody's going who's playing against us wherever they want to go. How do I do that? And even if it's a bit lopsided in the sense you have to give up, like I, I don't know if you're giving up players, but, well, I mean, you might have to clear some salary out, but you're not necessarily giving up top players or top prospects. But if you have to give up draft capital to do it, mm -hmm. if I'm the Edmonton Oilers, I'm saying McDavid, Dreisaitl, Prime, the marching orders are do what needs to get. Uh, just cut that clip a little short there, but yeah, you do Edmonton. Uh, you do what's got to get done while you've got McDavid and Dreisaitl. But it's interesting. That's this, more than the second time that Friedman's brought up Zadorov uh, and potentially interest in Toronto. Again, I'm kind of with Jeff on the side of I don't know how realistic a trade is between the Flames and Edmonton when it comes to any of those UFAs. Toronto, who knows, maybe uh, with Brad living there and knowing the guys as well as he does. But I thought it was interesting to hear Friedman say there, look, the Flames have made their phone calls. They're starting to gauge the interest of the market and start to have some of those preliminary conversations, which I think you have to do if you're Craig Conroy. Win or not, on Saturday, you have a long list of, of UFAs still that hold a lot of value. And again, yes, you won on Saturday. That's great. That's still three wins in 11 games this year for the Calgary Flames. The big picture has not been solved yet doing your due diligence on all your UFAs. I'm sure, well, Friedman just mentioned the defenseman there. You'd have to imagine similar things happening with guys like Elias Lindholm on the forward group have happened for the Calgary Flames. So, something to watch for. Again, 
if you want to buy into the Toronto or, or Edmonton narrative because they've had some defensive struggles to start the year, I, I think you can go down that road. But more than anything, Elliot bringing forward the fact that the Flames have had those preliminary discussions with teams about what something, what the market might look like for some of their UFAs, something we're going to watch for for sure going forward here in Calgary. Uh, quick note, four NHL games on the schedule on this Monday. No Flames action. They're back on Tuesday for a quick one-game homestand against the Nashville Predators. But tonight, 5 o'clock, Blue Jackets, Panthers. Sportsnet's got a doubleheader of action. Lightning and Maple Leafs go at 5 o'clock and are followed up by the Oilers and the Canucks. Third time this season already for the Oilers and the Canucks. And... Both teams going in opposite directions than we thought the season would start with. Oilers 2-7-1, Canucks 8-2-1. So again, you want to watch some hockey tonight. It starts at 5 o'clock and at 6 o'clock, good matchup too. Uh, Bruins 9-1-1, they're in Dallas. They take on the 7-2-1 Dallas Stars. That's your NHL schedule for tonight. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. We're going to move over to football week 9. Sunday slate finished in the NFL. We got Monday night football between the Chargers and the Jets. We'll check in with our uh, NFL regular, Emily Sadler from Sportsnet.ca. She joins us next to break it all down here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. All right, continuing this hour with some NFL talk. Week nine of the NFL season finishes off tonight with the LA Chargers in New York getting to take on the Jets. Week nine full of great storylines kicked off early Sunday morning in Germany with a good matchup between the Chiefs and the Dolphins and ended off with a pretty entertaining finish with the Bengals and the Bills and lots of great stories in between and every Monday we chat NFL we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and welcome in our pal from Sportsnet.ca Emily Sadler joins us this Monday Emily thanks as always how are you I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. Had a fun Sunday watching football. The weather's not bad here in Calgary for November, so we're doing pretty good. All right. It's raining here in Toronto, so um, if you could maybe send some of that nice weather, that would be great. But <laughs> I think our definition of nice weather probably varies because we're like <laughs> yeah. zero to plus three, and we're like, this is awesome. This is wicked. <laughs> okay, maybe I take it back. Maybe yeah. I take it back. Yeah, we take the rain. But uh, had a fun Sunday watching football. There's a ton to get to. Uh, I'm excited for our chat as always. I want to start with the Eagles and the Cowboys. Uh, goes down to the final drive. The Cowboys look like they're going to make things interesting. Dak Prescott just steps out of bounds on a two-point convert that might have changed it up. But here are the Eagles, 8-1, and one, well in control in the NFC and well in control of their division. Did the Eagles make any more impression on you or were you more impressed with the Cowboys coming out of this game? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely impressed with both sides. And I have to say, just, you know, when you, at the beginning of the season, when you, like, look ahead to the schedule and you, you always have those certain games that you circle. And I think everyone circled this one, and it actually lived up to the hype. <laughs> like, the, the their positions and the standings, like, it all just played into, like, a really, really good show. I think in terms of takeaways, 
I mean, the Eagles, I'm just continue to be really impressed by, of course, their offense and their trend of these fast starts. Like they just kind of immediately put their opponents behind the eight ball when they go out and they score on their first drive. And of course, it's never complete without a bold Nick Sirianni call of, (laughs) you know, going for it on fourth down and the first drive just like really set the tone. (laughs) Yep. Um, I would say like there, there's maybe concern still with the Eagles secondary, just, you know, really, really bad injury luck there. And so you kind of have this rotating cast of, of new names. It sort of feels like every snap you're like, wait, who's out there? Who's on the secondary? And I think we saw that the Cowboys were really able to kind of take advantage of that. Right. But as you mentioned, sort of a, Dak Prescott, you know, he'll come through for you, but you can also kind of um, have those blunders. And I, I can't help but wonder how the game would have ended up, how that kind of super close finish would have been had he not stepped out of bounds and made it, you know, really a more, more of an interesting last drive where they could have tied it up with a field goal. Um, yeah, it, it kind of had it all, right? It had some really good offensive play. It had the Eagles coming through when they needed to, you know, they – they did have those struggles, but then coming through with some really clutch sacks at the end of the game there. And then, of course, penalties played a big role in this one, too. But it kind of almost made it more fun in some ways, <laughs> just with the it, w- it was just a bit of a wild card with all of the, the penalties. And, you know, you travel up the field and then back. And it was just, yeah, it, it was a blast. I'm already now looking forward to their next matchup in December. Yeah, these two teams don't seem to play boring football against each other. It never seems to matter just what, you know, where these two teams are in the standings. I would have said most likely heading into a game at home against the the Cowboys. The Eagles would probably be pretty favored, but you're right, a, a player here or there or a sack missed here or there. And we could be talking about uh, a way different result in this game, but we'll be interesting to see Eagles now 8-1, and one, the only one lost team left in the NFL. Uh, One of the cool storylines coming out from Sunday as well was a record-setting performance for a Texans quarterback. 39-37, Texans over the Buccaneers. Houston moves to 4-4. C.J. Stroud, 30-42, 470 yards passing for five touchdowns, including the game winner with 10 seconds left to Tank Dell. Uh, How impressed were you with C.J. Stroud and what he's been able to do in year one? Yeah, just incredibly, incredibly impressive performance from him. And, like, who would have thought Houston against Tampa Bay was going to be almost the game of the week, right? But that game was, yeah, just such a such a great matchup and, and couldn't have been a better performance from Stroud. And I think it speaks to, of course, not only just his skill and the way that Houston has, able to, has been able to kind of surround him, too, with these young weapons, like, you mentioned rookie Tank Dell. We've got third-year receiver Nico Collins. Like the chemistry there has been so so strong and just really fun to watch. It also speaks to Stroud's resilience. You know, he goes into this game coming off back-to-back um, season-low uh, stats, just in terms of his yardage. And you know, you sort of wonder, okay, is he maybe cooling off? You know, so often we sort of see that with rookies, but you know, then he goes and puts up this historic performance. Um, and to do it too, where you know you've, your kicker is injured, you've got a running back kicking a field goal, you're going for all these two point conversions, and and it just didn't seem to phase him at all to see him march down the field with less than a minute to go, um, and and put up that win was just really telling about you know his character, his confidence, his resilience, 
And I, I think just the way that some of his teammates spoke about him after the game too, it's just so clear, like how much they trust him already. He's calm. He's just a total pro and he's been really fun to watch. And so it's been, it's been a really good story where I, I, I know I wasn't alone and not really knowing what we could expect from some of these rookie quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. I think from Stroud, we just keep learning more and more that like, yep, he, he's a, truly a franchise guy and, and Houston um, got, got the real deal in him. Do you worry a bit if you're a Panthers fan that maybe you, you got it wrong or is it just too early to, to start worrying about that and, and knowing that, yeah, we've got Bryce Young. He hasn't been off to the same start as CJ Stroud, but we got to kind of wait for him to develop and maybe they're just on different curves of, of developmental paths. Yeah. I think what I worry about more than, than the pick itself was just how much they gave up to get the pick. And I know like you can't really talk about one without the other, but you know, it's so hard for, it's so hard to really gauge what they have in Bryce Young, just because, you know, they probably should have taken the time to build a little bit more of their roster before bringing in that quarterback who they believe is their number one guy, because we just, we just don't know enough because he doesn't have the weapons to really be able to, do his thing right I think when you look at like you know they the fact that they won't have their their first overall or sorry their first round pick next draft because they gave it up to have the first overall pick this year that's troubling to me like that's just one of those I don't know if it's the pick itself or just yeah how much they gave up but it just doesn't seem like they're going in the right direction and you just it makes me feel for someone like Bryce Young because who knows? Like if he had been put in a better situation, maybe a slightly later pick or, or yeah, just to a different team that has a little bit more of, of those weapons, who knows what we would be saying about Bryce Young. But unfortunately it of course all kind of comes down on, on the player because that's what we can, that's what we can look at. We can look at the stats to sort of decide, okay, is he or isn't he? Yeah, you got to imagine if you're a Panthers fan, it's going to hurt coming around to the yeah. draft next year, and you're going to see a Marvin Harrison Jr. or you Absolutely. know Malik Neighbors and LSU. I think of, and you're going to say, "Wow, wouldn't it be great if if Bryce had someone like that to throw to?" And not that they can't get another great receiver down the down the draft, but you're right; it's it's always so hard because don't get me wrong, I like Adam Thielen as much as anybody, but that's not going to last mm. forever. It hasn't even lasted this entire season, and you got to feel for Bryce. You got to sit and go, who is he throwing to? Who is his, who's his running back? Who's his guy? And they don't really have that guy in Carolina right now. Yeah, exactly. Like they, they basically traded the guy who should be his guy yeah. in order to get him. Right. 100%. So it's, um, it's a really tricky situation there in Carolina. I'm not, I don't, I don't envy that situation at all. No. Uh, moving on to uh, look, there's two seven win teams in the AFC right now. Uh, obviously there's the Kansas city chiefs who picked up a big win in Germany to start off the day on Sunday, but, uh, right behind them now battling for the top of the, uh, AFC is the Baltimore Ravens who have won four in a row and in dominant fashion on Sunday. I know you and me have talked about the Ravens a bit, uh, back when they dominated the lions a couple of weeks ago, but man, I, I just wonder why there's not more talk around this team 37 to three against a pretty good Seahawks team. I know Lamar Jackson was joking. He hasn't put up big fantasy numbers, but the wins are what matters. And this team's kind of putting it all together. They're a very quiet seven-win team in Baltimore right now. 
Yeah, um, I can attest to those fantasy numbers. Definitely. <laughs> I'm, I'm losing some games here, yeah. even though the Ravens are winning. But honestly, that just makes me like so much more impressed by the Ravens because they're putting up these huge statement wins. And yet when you look at Lamar's um, individual stats, like they don't really jump off the page. Um, so it's it really just speaks to how diverse this offense is, how absolutely elite they are at running the ball and how they've managed to kind of strike that really good balance between when you need to rely on Lamar Jackson's legs or his arm, they can. Uh, When they don't, they can still win in such dominant fashion. And so that has been, yeah, that has just been super, super impressive. Um, And, you know, when you look at, when you look at their record right now and just the run that they're on, you know, four straight wins, they can almost like as competitive as the AFC North is like, they can almost wrap up that division in the next two weeks, right? They play the Browns on Sunday. They've already beat the Browns. And then they take on the Bengals next Thursday. They've already beaten both of those teams this year. And, you know, if you can get that much separation over them, um, that could be, I mean, that could that could just be really interesting, right? Obviously things get more interested if they, if the games go the other way, but um, yeah, they've just been so, so dominant and you're right that we haven't really maybe given them, given them the credit that, that they're due. But I think after this statement, Seattle, and I'm, I might, I might regret this metaphor, but it's almost like, almost like they're playing like whack-a-mole with like NFC <laughs> front running teams, because, you know, a couple weeks ago, as we said, like, we're talking about the Lions. They have emerged. They're at the top of their division, one of the best teams in the NFC. Yeah. And then in comes the Ravens and just, like, totally, totally wipes them out. And then we do the same thing with Seattle. You know, they, they last week, they find themselves on the top of the NFC West. We're all kind of talking about, okay, the Seattle Seahawks are here to stay. And then come the, the Ravens <laughs> sort of setting the record straight. And so, like, they're just so dominant. And then we haven't even talked about their defense, right? Like, that was an absolute clinic. They yep. held the Seahawks to, like, 28 rushing yards. Like, that's crazy. Six first downs. Like, that should be a typo. Um, <laughs> yeah, just just such a such a dominant effort um, on, on both sides of the ball. Yeah, maybe we'll get more Baltimore talk the next couple of weeks. You mentioned they're in Cleveland. Since he's a Thursday night game, and then they're taking on the Chargers on a Sunday night football. So maybe some primetime games will get Baltimore more into the spotlight, especially uh, if they keep winning and find themselves with a nine or uh, eight win team in a couple of weeks' time. They're going to be impossible not to talk about. Uh, I didn't put this in our our pre-show notes, but I I did want to ask you how cool it was uh, watching the Vikings on Sunday and seeing Josh Dobbs thrown into the fire Uh, All of a sudden, the Minnesota Vikings, who we talked about earlier on as this disappointing start to the season, and what are they going to do? Are they going to trade Kirk Cousins? Well, Cousins gets hurt. They go out and get Josh Dobbs from Arizona. He's barely practiced. He's literally teaching the offensive line his cadence on the sideline because he hasn't practiced with any of them before going into a game, and he leads the Vikings on this insane victory against the Falcons and all of a sudden they're five and four and second in the NFC North. How cool was that on Sunday? Just the coolest. Like there are moments uh, throughout the season when you're just like, God, I love football. And that was one of the moments, right? <laughs> yeah, because 100%. It's just, 
I mean, there's so many of those moments, of course, but like just in terms of like the stories and these amazing efforts and comebacks and like against all odds. And it just, that was, that was absolutely amazing. And, and yeah, I mean, speaks to just the resilience of the whole team and especially Josh Dobbs to be put in that position of like, essentially like, Hey, nice to meet you. What was your name? Are you cool if I throw you the ball now? <laughs> like it was just like what what a great story and and yeah, just what an amazing um what an amazing story the whole team has been, but then to to throw Dobbs into the mix. And that was a trade too that I did not see coming, but really liked it right away because obviously there's a trust factor there between Dobbs and and a lot of coaches, like he obviously has a very, very strong reputation as someone who can a learn an offense really quickly and b be that kind of supporting role um, in a backup role slash now starter um, that teams need. And so I, I mean, he's had a great season up until now, and to see it get even better has just been so awesome. Like I will, I'm. I'm for sure, like, I can't help it. I, I have to root for the Vikings here on out, right? It kind of feels that story. way. Yeah, and especially yeah. once Justin Jefferson gets back, you're kind of going, okay, I could I could kind yeah, of see this team. Thing. Yeah, they haven't even, yeah. haven't even, they've managed the to do this without him a couple of that weeks. Without Jefferson was mm-hmm. just, like, even even better. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, just, just feels like, wow, what else is in store for this team? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, loving it right now, and all of a sudden the Lions – uh, with six wins, have a team right on their heels uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to the NFC North. So that's going to be something to watch for over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Sunday Night Football closed us out last night. Good matchup, Bengals and the Bills. Uh, Bills fall to 5-4, and four, miss a chance to gain some ground on the Dolphins who lost earlier in the day. But uh, we've spent a lot of time, you and me, Emily, on these chats talking about Cincinnati and their struggles early on in the season. And it feels like it really was just as simple in my mind as once Joe Burrow got back and healthy, this team really found their stride again. Yeah, exactly. It definitely, when I look back on that, I'm just like, yeah, no, I think I and everyone else, we were all just overthinking it. Like he just was not feeling good. His calf was obviously bothering him a lot and, and a lot more than maybe we all realized. Um, And then just to see now, you can just see how much better he feels. And it's so obvious. I mean, I think that was their best game yet against the Bills. Um, And they're just really, they're they're back. They're more than back. I I think they really are kind of better than ever. Um, And I'll be really, I'm just really curious to see like, okay, can you keep this momentum? I don't know who can stop them right now, but they have one of the toughest schedules to come kind of in the second half. And so they're really, really going to be tested. Um, and it of course speaks to just how strong and how competitive the AFC North is. The fact that, you know, the Bengals have, have strung together all these dominant wins and yet they're still at the bottom of that division. Um, so still very much behind the eight ball, but um, I'm not really going to doubt them. Right. Are you? It's, no, it's, it's such a, it's just such a talented team. The defense has been playing so well. Um, yeah, just it's fun to watch them. It, it was no fun, like overanalyzing Joe Burrow and his cap injury, and now this is this is just fun to see that like he's clearly feeling good, and this offense is clearly just like it's firing on all cylinders. Mixon is playing super well. They just have all those supporting roles and the starring roles um, totally totally back. Yeah, you talk about a, an upcoming schedule for the Bengals. Uh, 
They're going to take on Houston next week. We know that's no pushover with C.J. Stroud. Uh, at Baltimore versus Pittsburgh, at Jacksonville versus Indy yeah. versus Minnesota, Pittsburgh again at KC, and then versus Cleveland to finish off the season. Ooh. That is uh, a, there's no gimme in any of that. There really isn't. No, yeah, it's like that's a that's a tough um, that is a tough stretch. That's a tough full half of a season. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and yeah, and I mean, just the competitiveness of the AFC overall. Um, yeah, it's going to be like such an interesting stretch run for so many of these teams. Uh, Emily Sadler's along with us. She's our Monday regular here on Sportsnet today, chatting all things NFL week nine coming to a close tonight. Emily, it's the chargers and the jets, um, chargers favored by three and a half. Both of these teams in interesting positions, the jets can actually, make things really interesting for a team like Buffalo if they can pick up a win tonight and suddenly move to 5-3 and three on the year while the Chargers looking like they've got an uphill climb. Obviously not going to catch Kansas City for the division, um, but needing to stay in a wild card hunt for sure. But going to be tough, as we mentioned, that whole AFC North already uh, with 5-3 and three or better records. What are you looking for in tonight's matchup? I'm, I'm definitely, yeah, I'm, I'm looking... First off, I'm looking forward to seeing the Jets' defense, um, what they can do against against Justin Herbert. I'm really looking for the Jets to really get off to maybe a, a quicker start. Um, they've had some really slow starts in the last couple games, and you know they've still all been wins. So that speaks to their resilience, and it also obviously speaks to the defense and how they're able to really shut down teams in the second half and especially in the in the fourth quarter. Um, I'm also yeah, I'm 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 kind of looking back at remember that Jets Chiefs game on October 1st and it was sort of like this could be a bit of a turning point for the Jets and I think it has been when you kind of look back at the last couple of of games from the Jets. Um I'm also interested to see how Zach Wilson does against the Chargers defense because it really has not been very good through the air and so I think it's a pretty quarterback friendly defense there. Um, but I think it's just really going to come down to the Jets being able to contain Justin Herbert, um, Herbert being able to keep maintain a clean game, kind of especially especially late in the game. We've seen a few sort of uncharacteristic blunders from him, I think. Um, and yeah, it feels like as much as it, it's silly to call a game a must win in the midseason, it really feels like it's a must win for the Chargers. Yeah, you got to wonder what uh, what happens in LA if. For Brandon Staley, especially at head coach, uh, if this team falls yeah. to three and five, they spent so much money on uh, a lot of guys, and uh, obviously J.C. Jackson traded to the Patriots. That didn't work. Um, a three and five record midway through the season wouldn't be a good look for the Chargers. We'll see what happens. It's a six fifteen uh, kickoff here in Calgary on Monday night for the Chargers and the Jets. Emily, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much. I love these chats. I can't wait to do it again next week. Hey. Always a pleasure. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Emily. Emily Sadler joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. She covers uh, all things for sportsnet.ca. Uh, you can check her out on Twitter as well, at Emmy Sadler. Uh, we talk NFL with her, but she's hit up hockey, uh, different NFL articles weekly uh, at the main website, sportsnet.ca. Again, Chargers 3-4, and four, Jets 4-3 four and three for Monday Night Football. It's a 6-15 kickoff. Chargers currently favored by 3.5 points heading into tonight's matchup we'll take a break come back on the other side into hour two of the program next 
We're going to go around the NHL, talk about some of the biggest storylines across the National Hockey League with Josh Clipperton. He writes for the Canadian Press, and we'll put a bow on the Stampeders season. It came to an end Saturday when they fell to the BC Lions in the Western semifinal for the second straight year. Matt has your final stamps report for the season coming up in Hour 2 of Sportsnet Today. It's next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.